auf. First Corinthians chapter 12. We've been working our way through the list of spiritual gifts given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just talking about them a bit. And, and uh, tonight we come to the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy mentioned in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I do want to say that my sharing on Thursday nights this summer is it's meant to be more of an exhortation toward praxis than it is, a, you know, a series of theological, theological treatises. It's, it's supposed to encourage us to experience the gifts and move in the gifts. I'm not trying to do in-depth teaching on the gifts or a theology of the Holy Spirit or the functioning of the gifts. I've done that before, and those things are online, and you could find those teachings a little more in-depth if this leaves you wanting a little more. But what I've been trying to do on Thursday nights is just get us to a, a place through the teaching of the Word as a church where we feel comfortable functioning in the gifts and experiencing maybe a little bit more than we have for some of us individually and for some of us corporately and, and just having you know a, a sweet time with the Lord. And hasn't it been sweet? He's just been giving us a sweet time with Him. Nothing weird. You know, the thing is, God's not weird. He's just, He's not weird. People are weird. And as long as people stay submitted to the Holy Spirit and humble, and the flesh stays in the check. Nothing gets weird. And so we've been having a wonderful time. And we've been given some sweet prophecies as a church. You know, there's been times where some prophecies have been spoken forth and they've just been so like the Lord, just kind and encouraging and edifying and exciting, haven't they? So we're going to talk a little bit about the gift of prophecy tonight. Uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians has quite a bit to say about it. So let's just start there. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one says this, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. When it says pursue love there, it says that on the heels of the love chapter. You hear it at all the weddings, so on and so forth. First Corinthians chapter 13, when the Bible was originally penned, it didn't have chapter breaks. Those were inserted later and they're helpful to us. They're fine. But Paul here finishes up his thoughts on love by saying, now what the Christian ought to do is pursue love. And that word pursue means that we're to make it our goal. We're to aim for love. We're to hunt after love as Christians. We're to be purposeful in pursuing love. What does that mean? That means to pursue loving the Lord and loving others. Jesus said those are the two most important things in our Christianity. To love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we are to pursue love. And it's so wise of the Holy Spirit, of course, to inject those thoughts on love in the midst of this discourse on the spiritual gifts because the Holy Spirit wants to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing and that if we don't get all caught up in the gifts and that we don't start pursuing gifts... It says pursue love. We're to pursue the Lord, to pursue loving Him more and loving one another more. We make that our goal. We hunt after that. And yet it says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. We pursue love. We desire spiritual gifts. We say, Lord, I want to be used by you. That's what it means to desire spiritual gifts. Lord, I want to see your body built up. It doesn't mean, Lord, I just want to see you do miraculous things. It doesn't mean, you know, Lord, I just want to see you kind of put on a display or I just, it, it means this. I want to see your body built up to be more effective. That Jesus, you would be glorified and I want to be participatory in that. I want to participate in the building up of the body. That's what it means to desire gifts. And, and it doesn't mean that we desire them for our own glory. That's a big mistake. Sometimes people want to put on a show or be used or be seen and God doesn't honor that. It's for the common good. It's for the building up of others. And then it says here, but especially that you may prophesy. It says that of all the gifts, the gift that we should most desire is the gift of prophecy. Now, isn't that interesting? It is the one of all the gifts most to be desired. By the way, love is not 
displayed as a gift in Scripture. It's a way. Paul says at the end of second, or 1 Corinthians 12, I show you a more excellent way. Love is not a gift. It's a way. It's the way that the Christian lives. But when it comes to the gifts, the one that we ought to desire the most is prophecy. So we need to talk about then, why is that? So we ask ourselves, what is the gift of prophecy? What isn't the gift of prophecy? Why is it that it is considered to be so desirable by the Lord himself, the author of scripture? And then a few things to keep in mind. So let's work at a definition of the gift of prophecy. First of all, we don't want to confuse it with uh, the Old Testament prophet. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the gift of prophecy. Nor do we want to confuse it with Bible prophecy. We talk about Bible prophecy so much here at Reality, and rightly so. We ought to. Um, very much of the Bible, about 27% was prophetic at the time of writing. We talk about Bible prophecy a lot, but that's not what we're talking about. That is future events having to do with end times, so on and so forth. We're talking about the gift of prophecy. What is it? Here's a simple definition. Reporting in one's own words... Something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. That's a definition given by Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology. I appreciate Wayne Grudem very much. I don't agree with all his theologies, but his systematic theology is one that I recommend to you if you're looking to study theology. Again, you won't, you won't see that Pastor Britt agrees with everything in there, but the vast majority of it, really good stuff. He's a very thoughtful, excellent scholar. That's his definition. It's a good definition, In my estimation, it's slightly conservative, though, because it presumes, in my mind, and I've read, he has a whole book on on prophecy and the gift of prophecy. I've read the whole thing. He kind of consumed or or presumes in his definition that prophecy is always going to be delivered in the third person. In other words, prophecy is revelation given to an individual by the Lord. You supernaturally know by the Spirit of God something that you previously did not know. And then what Wayne Grudem here says there is that the gift of prophecy is that being revealed in one's own words. Which I think is absolutely true. That's the way that it actually most functions in my life. The Lord will give me a revelation, a prophecy, and I'll say, you know, I think, I might say it like that, or... I think the Lord wants us to know, or I sense that the Lord is saying, or something along those lines, and then I'll relay it in my own words. So his definition kind of presumes that it's always going to be conveyed in in the third person, the Lord, you know what I mean, in that way. But perhaps a more aggressive definition and more simple is just this, speaking forth words directly from the Lord. Speaking forth words directly from the Lord. I think both of those definitions are correct. This one is slightly more aggressive. Because sometimes the gift of prophecy is delivered in the first person. In other words, the Lord says, I am your father. I am your redeemer. I am your rock or whatever. And so the one functioning in the gift of prophecy is speaking for the Lord in the first person. I believe that that's valid too. I think that we could see the gift of prophecy, supernatural revelation given to a person. All of a sudden they know something they previously did not know. And then it's relayed through a human agency, right? The medium of the voice and of spoken word and language, either in the first person or the third person. But the first person is not the usual model that we see given in the New Testament. We don't see in the New Testament, thus saith the Lord. We see that in the Old Testament with the Old Testament prophets. That was sort of the mode of operandi. The word of the Lord is, or or, thus saith the Lord. In the New Testament, we really don't see prophecy relayed in that way. There is one time that's kind of close, and that's with a prophet named Agabus in Acts chapter 21, where he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. And then he says to Paul about Paul being bound in chains when he would go to Jerusalem, so on and so forth. But the Old Testament phrase, thus saith the Lord, is never used by any prophet or anyone functioning in the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. I don't think that's a huge deal. You know, I think what Agabus says is pretty close when he says, this is the word of the Holy Spirit, or this is what the Holy Spirit says. But I have a few thoughts about the delivery of prophecy. When God gives you supernatural revelation, the gift of prophecy. 
Let me say this. If the message is from the Lord, then the Lord's people are going to know it. If the message is from the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to see to it that it resonates in the heart and in the hearts of God's people. And so it doesn't really, in my estimation, need to be, it doesn't have to be prefaced by, this is the word of the Lord, or thus saith the Lord, or the Lord says. I think if it's really God's word for the congregation, they're going to know the voice of the Lord when it's delivered prophetically. Wouldn't you agree? Furthermore, we need to keep in mind that the New Testament gift of prophecy is not the same as the New Testament office of prophet. Nor is it the same as the Old Testament office of prophet. Okay, there is an office of prophet. There are prophets in the New Testament to be sure. Several of them are mentioned in the book of Acts. And of course, in the Old Testament, there were prophets as well. But the gift of prophecy is not equated with either of those things. Somebody doesn't have to be a prophet to function in the gift of prophecy. But the reason why I mention that there's a difference between New Testament gift of prophecy and the Old Testament prophet is because of this. The words of the Old Testament prophet were equated with scripture. They were esteemed by God's people to be the very word of God. They were esteemed by God's people to be on par with the written word of God. Indeed, we see that they usually became the word of God. We have the major prophets and the minor prophets called major and minor because of the length of the messages, not the importance of the message. But the Old Testament prophet was expected by Israel to speak the very words of God, the inerrant words of God, God's word without error, unmingled by human opinion or human interpretation or human commentary. Old Testament prophets were expected to deliver the very word of God. Now, the New Testament gift of prophecy is not on par with scripture. When somebody is given a prophetic revelation and they speak it forth into the congregation or to an individual, the church is not to assume that that word has the same authority as scripture. The church is not to assume that is so. The reason that we don't expect the New Testament gift of prophecy to be infallible is because It is reported through the human agency and is often commingled with the opinions of men or the added thoughts of men or the comments of people or the error of people. We're not to expect, we're not to equate the New Testament gift of prophecy with the authority of the Old Testament prophet. Now, It bears commenting at this moment that the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament prophet is not a New Testament prophet. There were prophets in the New Testament, but they're not equal with Old Testament prophets. The New Testament counterpart is the apostle, or I should say was the apostle, the apostle upon which the foundation of the church was built, because it was the apostles whose words had absolute authority in the church in the same way that the Old Testament prophet did. It was the apostles that were used to pen scripture, right? Matthew, Peter, Paul, so on and so forth. It was the apostles who were used to pen scripture in the New Testament. It's the prophets that were used in the Old Testament. And so there seems to be a differentiation from Old Testament to New Testament prophet. The reason that our Lord Jesus may have made the switch in terminology when he began to call his 12 disciples the apostles is because by then, in the first century AD, prophet had a much broader meaning in Israel than it did previously. There was a mix of a lot of different cultures. There was a Greco-Roman culture. There was a mix of a lot of different religions. And the word prophet was thrown around quite lightly in those times. And so it seems to be the apostles 
who were given the authority in the early church to speak the very words of God, just like the Old Testament prophet did. And then the New Testament office of prophet, though a leader in the church, doesn't seem to have the same authority as the Old Testament prophet. Those are my observations. Now we can be sure that the New Testament gift of prophecy is not on par with scripture because we are told explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 29 that we're to judge the prophecies that are given. We're to judge them, by the way, in a particular fashion. Okay? It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 19 through 21, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. So don't be down on prophetic utterances. It's good in the church. But examine it carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, which means that there would be things that would come forth in the function of the New Testament gift of prophecy that weren't good. The commingling of the opinions the mindset, the thoughts, the interpretations of people. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, whenever a prophetic word is given in the congregation, it is to be judged. Now there's a few different words for judge in the New Testament. One is krino, and that carries the idea of an absolute judgment. It's either good or it's bad. It's evil or it's righteous. It's fair or it's foul. But the word used in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 is diacrino, which means to weigh. It's not a simple declaring either good or bad, yes or no. Rather, the idea that is carried here is weighing out of something, sifting through something of like kind to hold to that which is of value, to hold to that which is good, separating, distinguishing, making careful distinctions among related things or ideas, evaluating or weighing is what it says. So because we're told that we're to do that with the New Testament gift of prophecy, it's very clear to us then that it's not on par with the Old Testament office of prophet where it was the very word of God delivered inerrantly. As in all the gifts, they somehow seem to be subject to human error. Now if I was God, I wouldn't allow that. But I'm much meaner than God. I'm much stricter than God. I'm more restrictive than he is. I'm less trusting of people, it seems, than the Lord. But is it not true that the Lord could give somebody a gift of teaching, and yet they sometimes teach things that are in error? Is that not true? That is absolutely true. Is it not true that somebody could have the gift of giving, and yet at times fail to give? not give perfectly, not give enough? Is it not true that somebody can have the gift of administration as mentioned in Romans chapter 12 and yet not always administrate perfectly the runnings of the church? It's amazing to me that God still chooses to work through people when we make mistakes. But aren't you glad that he does? And we need to know that it's the same thing in New Testament prophecy which is why I prefer before I prophesy to say things like, I think the Lord may be saying, or I sense the Lord may be leading us in, or sometimes I don't preface it with any reference to the Lord whatsoever. I'll just say it. That's the way I do it most often. It happens a lot on Sundays. I'll just say it. You guys wouldn't know that it was a prophetic word of God unless it resonated in your spirit as such. And there's always testimony to that. Somebody always goes, that last thing you said right before the end of service, oh my goodness, that was for me. The Lord totally knew what was going on in my life. But I don't always see the need to preface it with thus saith the Lord or I sense the Lord is saying because I think if it's really a prophetic word of the Lord, that the Lord's people are just going to know. Amen? That doesn't mean that I take exception with somebody who says, thus saith the Lord. 
I just think if they say that, they should really be careful to deliver it just as they got it. And I think that's possible. I think that is totally possible. No problem. But for me, because I know how often I make mistakes, I'm a little more conservative. So I'm somewhere caught between the two definitions. That the gift of prophecy is um, relating in your own words some thought or whatever revelation that God has put in your mind and speaking forth the very word of God. It's both of those things. And I think that as a church, we need to be responsible in the way that we approach it. I think we should all know from now on, no matter how somebody prefaces a prophecy, that we don't consider it to be on par with scripture, do we? No, we don't. We can rejoice that it is the word of the Lord, but it's the word of the Lord for that moment. It's not necessarily the eternal word of God. I think we need to absolutely know that. That is for sure. But I think we can also then have an understanding that it's okay for people to make mistakes. If you were an Old Testament prophet and you made a mistake, they killed you immediately. That was the standard for the Old Testament prophet. We see there how they were really expected to deliver the inerrant word of God. If a single prophetic utterance that they gave did not come true, they were stoned and had to be by God's word. Now, aren't you glad it's not true of the New Testament gift of prophecy? (laughs) Nor the New Testament office of prophet, it seems. And so I think we need to, as a body that loves each other and is trusting each other, to know that at times, you know, we might make mistakes. And we're not going to burn people for that. If people are genuine in seeking the Lord, if they're free of ill motives, if they're not propagating false doctrine, we want to work with one another through our mistakes. There may come a time where I teach something from the pulpit that's incorrect. I just didn't have a clear understanding on some theological point. And I might have to stand up and say, you know what, guys, last week I blew it. I said this and I, I you know, studied a little bit more and I think I was wrong. Now, what are you guys going to do with me at that time? You need to make up your mind what you're going to do with me at that time because as your pastor, I'm going to make mistakes. You need to know that. I don't want to, but I'm going to. Only Jesus is perfect. Everybody else is allowed to make mistakes. Now, somebody has ill motives and is propagating false doctrine and seeking to draw people to themselves. Well, then we're generally pretty ruthless with such a person. But you leave that to me and Pastor G. Now, prophecy, the New Testament gift, can involve both foretelling, okay, speaking about future events, and forthtelling, just speaking forth the mind or the heart of the Lord for his church. Foretelling something in the future, or just forthtelling. Now, we've had some great forthtellings come forward in the body on Thursday night. Some sweet things. We had one last week that was super sweet. The Lord was giving to us a new heart of tenderness as a congregation here at Reality Carpinteria. You know, that he was doing that. I loved that word. And we've had some other ones that were forth telling, speaking forth the heart or the mind of God for his church. And then there's foretelling, telling of things in the future. I had one about a decade ago. About a decade ago, I was teaching a low home Bible study here in Carpinteria. And it started out just teaching uh, this home Bible study for kids that surfed down at Tar Pits, you know, junior high kids and early high school. And I surfed with them every day and coached them at surf contests and just had a heart for them. So I just started teaching them the Bible. And then other people started coming and stuff like that. And and I did that for several years at, at my parents' house. I was still living with my parents. And this girl, Kim, I'll never forget it. She came up to me and she said, I think the Lord told me that you're going to be a pastor to pastors. That you're going to shepherd shepherds. Now, I didn't want to be a pastor. I had no desire whatsoever to be a pastor. I wanted to make surfboards and to surf. That was my desire for my life. And that's what I was doing at the time. And Kate and I had told the Lord, I swear, we had told the Lord, we will do this Bible study for a few months and then we're done. We need to get back to surfboards, Lord. (laughs) Told him that. And a few months would go by and I'd tell the Lord, I'll give you a little more time. And then we need to wrap this thing up. And I'm going back to surfboards. 
But that was way out of left field. She came and said, years before I was a pastor, or ever wanted to be, you're going to be a pastor to pastors. Now, I just kind of said, oh, praise the Lord, sister, thank you, wow, I mean, you okay? (laughs) I didn't know what to do with that thing. So I just kind of put it in my back pocket. And now, a decade later, reality is planning churches. And there's pastors that now call me their pastor. And I get invited to speak at pastors' conferences and leaders' conferences. And there's people that call me on the phone from different states and different countries and say, I consider you to be my pastor. I pastor a church, but you're my pastor. Can I ask you some questions? And I'm floored by that. That's never anything that I wanted to be. It's never anything I could have been in and of myself. That's something that the Lord did. But a prophetic word was delivered a decade before time. And so when it happens, here's why that's neat. When it happens, then now that people, pastors call me and go, I consider you my pastor. I'm very edified, not by their declaration, but by the sovereignty and the kindness of God in my life. That way back then, when I was pretty loosey-goosey and pretty messed up, man, the Lord had a plan for my life. And no matter how hard I tried to derail it, Lord, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to make surfboards. No matter how hard I tried to derail it, the Lord was sovereign and good to get me where he wanted me to be. And so I'm able to look back and go, Lord, a decade ago, you were with me and you were in control of my life. And so I know today that you're going to be with me and in control a decade from now. And so, Lord, I'm not going to sweat the little things. I'm going to be encouraged, I'm going to be built up, and I'm going to be comforted by the fact that my life is in your hands. Isn't that wonderful? That's why prophecy is considered by the Lord to be such a wonderful gift and the one that ought to be desired above all the other gifts. So verse 1 again, pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Okay, we're going to deal with tongues uh, in a couple weeks, week after next. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Then it says in verse 4, One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. There we see why the gift is considered to be so desirous by the Spirit of God. Because above every other gift, it seems, it brings edification, exhortation, and consolation to the church. To edify means to build up. To exhort means to encourage. It can also mean to admonish or to warn. The gift of prophecy, the New Testament gift of prophecy, is not free from God's ability to warn us and admonish us. He may do that through that gift at times. But I'll tell you this, it will never condemn us. And I've had many people approach me who said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And every word that came out of their mouth was condemning. I'm able to say with confidence that that was not the word of the Lord to me. Because my Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And my Bible says in John chapter 3 verse 17, that Jesus did not come to condemn me, but to save me. And so when he speaks to me, he doesn't condemn me. People sometimes do. And the devil always does. But not the Lord. Prophecy is given for building up, exhorting, encouraging, or warning. That's fine. You can warn without condemning. Admonish without condemning. And comforting. When it's the prophetic word of the Lord, it's going to bring comfort to the hearer. Be it the whole congregation or an individual, it's going to bring comfort and consolation, not fear. Somebody gave me a false prophecy about six years ago. 
it was difficult because this was a person who God had used to speak into my life prophetically previously. And so I trusted this person. And Kate and I just had our son, Isaiah. And those of you who are close to me, you know, I'm, I'm pretty nuts about my kids. I mean, I'm like super goo-goo dad, just melt for my kids. I'm crazy about my kids. And um, I just, I mean, all of you are like that, but I just love my son so much. And now my daughter, Daisy. And she came to Kate and I and claimed that she had a word from the Lord that our son was going to be in great danger and lose his life at an early age. We trusted this person. And now she came and delivered this. And, you know, we weren't really too sure what to do with that. And whenever somebody gives me a prophecy, I always take it right to the Lord. Okay, you need to do that. When somebody comes and says, here's the word of the Lord for you, you need to take it right to the Lord. Because you know what? The Lord knows my phone number. So he doesn't have to have somebody else call me. I mean, that's cool if he does. Maybe he was getting a busy signal from me. But then I'll go ahead and just hang up and say, okay, Lord, I'm waiting for you to call. You got my digits. So I always take a prophecy right to the Lord. And I begin seeking the Lord. Lord, what what does this mean? And what this prophecy did was it brought tremendous fear to my life. So much so that when I went and saw the movie Nemo, where the father loses his son, I came unglued in the theater. I was gripped beyond description with fear. I was weeping in my chair and convulsing and panicking, having panic attacks in my chair, relating with the father who had lost his son because of that prophecy they had given him. I came to the conclusion that that was not from my Jesus. Because a prophetic word of the Lord brings comfort and consolation to his people. Not fear or condemnation. The Lord Jesus Christ bled for his bride. He does not terrorize her. False prophets do. That's why we're told in the word of God to be very aware of them. And to deal with them with a very strong hand. So the prophetic word of God is going to always bring building up to the body, encouraging the body, comforting the body, perhaps warning in love, but it's not going to yield fear or terror in a person. Now in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26, if you want to look there, I referenced it previously. It says, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most in each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. As I said, we're going to deal with tongues in a couple weeks. And let two or three prophets speak And let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. So don't prophet. If people prophesy, they shouldn't be speaking on top of each other. Just take turns. It's no big deal. This is in verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. So the spirit of prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, when God gives us a gift, he allows us to exercise control over that gift. He doesn't overwhelm us and make us uncontrolled. We could be powerfully anointed, strongly moved by the Lord, but he doesn't override the faculties of the saints. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God is not a God of confusion. When the gifts are functioning, it's not going to be a raucous. It's not going to be confusing. It's going to be like the Lord, sweet and peaceful. And then there's that verse where it says in verse, um, 
29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Now we already referenced this, but how should prophecies be judged then? We've, we've done that each week when a prophecy has come up. It's been judged because the word says that it should be. And again, that word in the Greek is diakrino. It means to separate, to distinguish, to make careful distinction among related ideas, to evaluate, to wait. That means, listen, we're not judging the person. We're judging the prophetic word. Okay, because the concept here in 1 Corinthians is that this is somebody inside the body who is known. There's been trust built up in the body. We are to judge false prophets. Matthew chapter 7 tells us that very clearly. And we're to deal with them. We're to get false prophets out of the body. False prophets are to be judged. But in the context of the gift of prophecy functioning in the body, it's the prophetic word that is weighed. And remember what it said in 1 Thessalonians, hold to that which is good. Now, it's just been my experience that that often when I receive a prophetic word, often it's mixed then with the person's opinion. And I don't condemn them for that. The Bible doesn't say condemn them for that. The Bible says, judge the word that was given and hold to that which is good. So I'm able as a mature, responsible Christian to then go, okay, well, I think that this portion was good and that portion, that was kind of their interpretation or, or their hope for the time. And you know, praise God, I love them and they love me. They don't mean any harm or foul. That's cool. But then I cling to what is good, which is what First Thessalonians says. Now, in the corporate setting, how then should prophecy be judged? Well, it makes sense that if somebody is leading the corporate time, then perhaps then the leaders, you know, would kind of facilitate that. And kind of put the yes and amen on that. And I've done that for you guys when prophetic words have come forward. And and so has Dominic. Other times, it's just been the yes and the amen of the congregation. Right? We've gotten a prophetic word. It happened last week. We got a prophetic word and everyone went, yes, amen. Woo, yay. There was just that wholehearted approval that yes, that seems to be a word from the Lord for, for us. And we're going to trust the Lord to cause that to resonate. Now, I need to draw your attention to verses 34 and 35. It's in the context of prophecies being given in the church. And it says in verse 34, Let the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but let them be subject themselves, just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, remember the the context is prophecies being given in the body. Let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, what does that mean? First of all, we affirm that that is the word of God. Okay, that's not a mistake. That is the word of God. But what does it mean? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that women are forbidden to prophesy. Because Paul says explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that women should prophesy. Amen? Oh, all the women. Amen. Amen. First of all, we know that there were prophetesses in the New Testament. Philip. It says in um, Acts chapter 21 that Philip had four daughters that were prophetesses. Can you imagine living in that house? (laughs) So it doesn't mean that women can't prophesy. That's not what it means. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that women can prophesy in the church. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that women can pray in the church. So it's not an absolute moratorium on women ever speaking in church. That's not what it means. Remember, it's in the context of prophecies being given and those prophecies being judged. The idea here is that the male leadership of the church should facilitate the judging of the prophecies. Why? Because of what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. In the church, there is an ecclesiastical structure that God has ordained. It's based upon the structure of creation, the headship of Jesus Christ over the man, and then marriage, the headship of the man over the wife. And it seems to me, I got an amen from a woman. It seems to me that those who are pastors in the church, and elders are to be men. Now, we can disagree on that and still go to the same church. If we disagree on the deity of Jesus Christ, go somewhere else. If we disagree on a literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, you ought to go somewhere else. If we disagree on the inerrancy of the word and the authority of the word, you should probably find another church. These are some foundational things. 
But if we disagree on women being ordained and not being ordained, that's no reason to split. That's no reason to split. It seems to be in context, and I'm very open to each one of you scheduling a point with me and discussing this point. It seems to be in context that the male leadership of the church as ordained by God, pastors and elders, are to lead in the judging of the prophecy. If a man were to give the prophecy and a woman were to lead in the judging of the prophecy, that would then be putting her in a place of authority over the man in the church, which Paul explicitly forbids in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Understood? No big deal. I mean, women can be prophetess. Who wants to be a pastor when you could be a prophetess? I don't understand why women get upset at me. I want to be an elder. I want to be, I want to be a pastor. Really? I'd rather be a prophet to tell you the truth. <laughs> Go be a prophetess. Praise the Lord. They, and they can have great areas of leadership in the church, but it seems to be saying here that when prophecy is judged, somehow the male leadership in the church should be involved in that. Now, we're just about done. What criterion should be used for judging prophecies? Well, everywhere in the New Testament, the standard for evaluating public speech in churches is conformity with the written word. Amen? No brainer. So number one, if a prophecy is given and where to judge it, we need to ask, first of all, does it line up with the word of God? If it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not a prophecy from God, period. It's just that simple. We reject the view that God gives new revelation to the church that is beyond the bound of scriptures. We reject that wholeheartedly. We believe that it will always be in unity with the written word of God. The other thing we want to ask when judging prophecies is, does it line up with any related known facts? If somebody were to say, today in Israel there was an earthquake and the Mount of Olives was wiped off the map. We could say, well, today in Israel, Israel's actually about 11 or 13 hours ahead of us, so we could look at the news and we could say, no, that didn't happen. It doesn't line up with the fact that wasn't a real prophecy from the Lord. If somebody were to say, tomorrow there's going to be an earthquake in Israel and the Mount of Olives is going to be leveled, would we think that that could be a prophecy from the Lord? No, because we know eschatology that says in Zechariah chapter 14 that when the Lord comes, he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives and at that time it will split in two. So that would be inconsistent with the word of God. You see, there's very simple ways to judge prophecies. Is it consistent with the word of God? Does it line up with any known facts? And by the way, if it's predictive, what it predicts must come true or it was a false prophecy, duh. And then thirdly, does it honor Jesus Christ? Because remember, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would always glorify him. If it's really a prophecy from the Holy Spirit, it's going to honor Jesus Christ. It's going to exalt Jesus Christ. It's going to magnify the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says about the Old Testament prophet, the Old Testament prophet might show you a sign and a wonder that comes true. But if that then prophet tries to lead you away to different gods, reject him, stone him, he's a false prophet. So even if there's signs and wonders, if it doesn't exalt Jesus Christ, we reject it. And then the fourth measure is, does it edify, exhort, or console? Because it said that at the beginning of chapter 14, that prophecy edifies, exhorts, and consoles the church. Now, that's an easy way for us to measure, and we ought to do that in a corporate setting, and you should do that as individuals. If someone comes to you individually and says, I have a word in the Lord for you, you've got to judge that prophecy. Now, what if you're given a false prophecy? Or what if we're given a false prophecy? What do we do? Well, we need to know, first of all, that a false prophecy will come from one of two places, either from the flesh or the devil. If it comes from the flesh, it's usually a manifestation of maybe somebody just getting ahead of the Lord. Just so eager to speak forth the prophetic word of God. Just, oh, Lord, give us a prophetic word. First thing that comes into their mind. And that happens. I'm not condemning people for that. People are eager for the Lord. We, we make some mistakes in our zealousness sometimes. So it's just, it's the flesh. Or so someone got ahead of the Lord. Or sometimes it's a little more sinister and that somebody wants to draw attention to themselves. And that happens too. That happens too in the churches. Sometimes somebody just wants to draw attention to themselves. And, you know, I, I get a little bit weirded out when somebody delivers a prophecy and it's a voice in, that you've never heard them speak in. You've heard them speak a lot of times and they have a normal voice, but when they give a prophecy, it's like falsetto with vibrato and 900 decibels and undulating. And I, 
So sometimes a false prophecy is from the flesh, but then sometimes it's from the devil. And that's a little more serious. So we should be you know, very, very concerned about that. Either that's a non-believer who's controlled by the enemy and is using, being used by the enemy to mess up the body, or it's a believer who's just untrained in the scriptures. And the enemy was able to plan a thought. Didn't that happen to Peter? Didn't Peter in Matthew 16 in Caesarea Philippi when the Lord said, who do you say that I am? Didn't he say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. It was a prophetic utterance. And then a few sentences later, Peter pulls the Lord aside and begins to rebuke him. Because Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to hang on the cross. And Peter said, may it never be, Jesus. You're not going to do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because now his words were being inspired by the devil. Why was he able to be inspired by the devil? Because he didn't know the word of God. The word of God said, it predicted that Jesus would be crucified for our sins. Peter was speaking something that was contrary. The enemy taking advantage of him at that point. What did the Lord do with him? He rebuked him to be sure, but the Lord didn't discard Peter. He wasn't done with Peter. Peter wasn't stoned. Peter made a mistake. People are sometimes going to make mistakes, even though they're well-meaning. So that's why we need to know the scriptures. But other times, and we may talk about this another time, the New Testament is full of it. There are false prophets who are malicious. And they're there to cause some sort of, of, uh, of negative work in the body. They're there to divide the body. They're there to spread false teachings. They're there to draw people away to themselves. Now, if someone is, is, is well-meaning and they mess up in Bible prophecy, we're going to go according to Galatians 6.1 and restore them with gentleness. If somebody has ill motives or they're teaching foul doctrine in the body, then we're going to go Romans 16.17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn and turn away from them. We're going to put them out of the body. We're going to deal with them. And the leadership of the church always needs to deal with false prophecy on one level or another. And our commitment to you is that we will do that according to the scriptures and by the grace of God. And so now I'm finished, but I might just say this. So... How does it operate? We're sitting here. We're waiting on the Lord. How would you know if you were just given a word of prophecy? Well, oftentimes it's just this original thought, this thought that you haven't had. This, it, it might be a picture or just a very strong impression or just a sentence or whatever, but just good. You just know something that you previously didn't know. Now, when that happens to me, I always say, Lord, is that you? And the Lord is good to confirm. And then I say, Lord, what do you want me to do with that? That's an important question. A lot of people, they miss that second question. (laughs) What do you want me to do with that? And sometimes, oh, that's for Pastor G. And so I'll go to Pastor G and say, hey, bro, I got the word of the Lord for you, man. (laughs) Or that's for the body. Someone's here. You need to encourage the body with that. So then it'll be spoken forth into the body. But it often just comes as a strong impression, a thought or a sentence. It'll happen sometimes when we're just waiting on the Lord, which has happened here on Thursday nights. It happens to me during preaching and teaching a lot. It happens to our prayer team uh, during praying. And then you just deliver that thing as you got it, as best as you can, according to how you got it. Now, maybe you don't feel like speaking it forth. You know, maybe you're not that bold or, you know, you haven't grown in the gift that much. And you don't feel like just saying at, you know, a hundred decibels, which is what everyone needs. That's the level you need for everyone to hear in this room. You don't feel like doing that. So you have an option of coming to one of the pastors. You can come to me or Pastor G or Pastor Sean and say, hey, I think the Lord gave me a prophetic word and here's what it is. And then we'll help you to sort that out to the best of our ability by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit. To say, hey, yeah, that is. What do you want to do? A lot of times, this happens all the time. People come, they'll give us a word, and they'll say, well, I want you to say it. And we're totally cool with that. We're totally cool with that. We do that all the time, and usually you, you don't even know it. Just at some time during the, you know, the rest of the service, we'll just be talking, and we'll say it. And we don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. If it's a word of the Lord, you just know. So you can go to an individual. If God gives you a word for an individual, you could speak it out here on a Thursday night. You could do it on a Sunday night, on a Sunday morning. I'm cool with that. 
If there's a time where it would be an opportune time and we're just kind of waiting on the Lord, I, got, I would be stoked if God gave you a prophecy and you spoke it forth. We'll judge it. We'll judge the prophecy. We'll love you. That's cool. That's the way it works. Or you can always go to a pastor and say, hey, help me sort this out. I think the Lord gave me a Lord, or the Lord gave me a word. <laughs> you know, do you want to share it? Once in a while, we'll say, no, you ought to share it. And we have that impression. So that's it. Gift of prophecy. It's cool, right? So let's just start to pray and see what the Lord wants to do. And prayer team will be up here and we'll let the Lord move. I apologize. Every Thursday I speak longer than I intended to. Please forgive me. Um, Don't stone me and I won't stone you. Lord, we thank you that you do speak to your church. We thank you that like a very good bridegroom, you come to your church wanting to build up the bride, wanting to encourage the bride, wanting to comfort and console your bride your blood-bought bride. Thank you for that, Lord. We rejoice in the gift of prophecy, Lord. We're going to obey your word and not despise prophetic utterances. We're going to carefully weigh everything and we're going to cling to that which is good. We thank you that you have spoken prophetically here on Thursdays. It's been sweet. It's been wonderful, Lord. It's been a great reflection of your heart for your church. And we just ask now, Lord, as we just enter into a little time of praising you and praying to you and waiting on you. We ask the Holy Spirit you'd have your way. Whatever it is you want to do. Really, Lord, whatever it is you want to do. Right now, we just help one another to surrender agendas. You may have prophetic words for us tonight. You may not at all. That's fine. You may heal tonight. You may not. That's fine. We might just worship you. We might just be quiet before you. Lord, really... We just want to be in the place as, a belie- as believers that we're cool with whatever you want to do. We don't want to dictate it. So I'm going to be quiet now, Lord. And I ask the Holy Spirit, you would come. And please have your way now. With your precious body. Have your way, Lord.